0: Hey, we're going to start this morning with a little bit of trivia, a little competition this morning. So if you'd like to participate, please pull out your phone and I'm going to have you scan the QR code that should be showing on the screen here in just a moment. get to the next slide. There we go. So if you take out your phone, scan the QR code, the topic is U.S. Presidents. How well do you know your U.S. Presidents specifically in relation to presidential campaign slogans this morning? So, here's what I'd like for you to do. If you want to participate, please stand. And so, you're going to stand. Go ahead, everybody wants to participate. I'm hoping all of you will want to participate to make this work this morning. So, you're going to stand this morning. As long as you get it right, continue to stand. If you miss it, you can sit down, but keep playing the game anyway. Come on, we got to have more people participating than this. Everybody stand, give it a shot. I'm sure you can do well. We're going to start with a real easy one to start. So here we go. Again, you're going to match the president with their campaign slogan. So real easy to start. Who said, Make America Great Again? George Washington, John F. Kennedy, Donald Trump. Okay, we're going to go quick. If you said John F. Kennedy, you don't get to vote anymore. All right, you're you're done. It is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the correct answer. So here's the second one. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Reagan, Clinton, George W. Bush. Okay, correct answer is Clinton. Continue standing if you got that one. Vote yourself a farm. Whose campaign slogan is this? Ulysses S. Grant, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. Okay, we're going to eliminate a whole bunch of people on this one. Lincoln. Lincoln's the correct answer. We got a few left standing, Tippecanoe and Tyler too. William Henry Harrison, Coolidge, Harding. Correct answer, Harrison. Okay, a few left. Change we need. Barack Obama, George Bush, Jimmy Carter. correct answer is Barack Obama. Did we eliminate everybody? Is that it? Were you all the last two standing? They got it? You got it right? Okay, stay standing, stay standing. We'll see how far you can go. A chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Lyndon B. Johnson, Woodrow Wilson, Herbert Hoover. It is Hoover. Hoover's the right one. I would have thought a chicken in every, part, uh, in every pot and a vacuum cleaner in every home, but maybe I got the wrong guy on that one, Hoover. All right, last one, Blaine Blaine, James G. Blaine, the continental liar from the state of Maine. Anybody know who says that, has said that? Pierce, Cleveland, Polk. Correct answer was Cleveland on that one. All right, so does anybody know why he used that as his campaign slogan? We'll acknowledge the winner in just a minute, yeah. Anybody know why he used that particular campaign slogan? That was a shot at his competition, uh, James Blaine, who was accused of unethical business dealings with the railroad. Now, Blaine came back with a slogan of his own that went like this, ma, ma, where's my pa, gone to the White House, ha, ha, ha. Now, that was a counter shot at Cleveland who allegedly fathered a child out of wedlock. So you think politics are nasty today. They are nasty back then as well. All right, for our winner, who was our winner right out here, congratulations. So here's the big prize for today. You can meet Amanda Radoni in the Welcome Center and pick out something from our little store in there. So just take take your choice, it's all yours. Congratulations. (laughs) All right, so why do presidents have campaign slogans? Well, in a few rare cases, like the one that I just mentioned, it is to disparage their their competition, the other candidates. But in most cases, the campaign slogan, as you know, is used to communicate the candidate's vision or what they hope to accomplish or maybe a little bit of their personality. Something very similar was taking place in the ancient Near East when it came to kings. They didn't have campaign slogans per se because they didn't run for office. Uh, that throne went to the person who was next in line, or you cut in line by killing that person who was. But what did take place is once you assume the throne, you choose a name. Uh, so, for instance, it is reported that guy by the name of, well, we don't know his exact name, but the name he took when he took the throne, he took the name Sargon. Uh, took that name because he wanted to communicate a message with his name. His, that name literally means the king is legitimate. A pretty cool name, right? And So he says, I'm on the throne now. Here's what you need to know about me. The king is legit. I'm legit. Now, beyond that, people would then give titles that they would attribute to the king that would talk about some of their qualities or some of their accomplishments. And so when you get to Isaiah… And he prophesies about this coming Messiah King who will sit on the throne for all of eternity. He chooses four titles. And he says, look at these titles because they reveal something about the nature and the character and the mission of the King that is to come. We just sang those titles, but I'll read the text for you. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we focused on that title, Mighty God, and I concluded by asking you to write on a three by five card what you hope Mighty God will do in your own personal life, in your family, in this church, and/or in our community in 2024. Now, how many of you took me up on that that offering? Anybody write that down on a three-by-five card? A few of you did this morning. Would anybody like to share with us what you wrote on that card? No, that's okay. I didn't anticipate that you'd want to this morning. But here's the thing. If you will give me that card, I promise I will begin praying over those things, the things that you would like to see mighty God do among us next year in 2024. This morning, though, we turn our attention to the third of the titles, And it is that title, Everlasting Father. That's a weird one, isn't it? And after all, all through Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the Son, not the Father. And so why does Isaiah put this particular title upon Jesus? Well, some suggest it is because God takes different forms at different times. Sometimes he comes in the form of God the Father, and sometimes he takes the form of God the Son. Sometimes he would take the form of God the Spirit. He's just kind of like this divine transformer. Now, is that view accurate? Not according to the Gospel John, or the, or the Gospel writer John. He says this in John chapter 1, and verse 18, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, I know this is, this is kind of basic for many of you, especially those of you who have been going to church all of your life, but for those of you who are new to this, and you're investigating Christianity, or you're just kind of getting started in Christianity, this, this whole thing about the nature of God's a little bit confusing, and it, and it is hard to explain. It's hard for those of us who have been doing this for a long time to even wrap our mind around it. And so, understand if you have questions, you want to talk more about it, but I'm going to do my best just to kind of simplify this for us from this text. What, what John is saying is this, is that Jesus is the same essence. Jesus' the Son is the same essence of God the Father. Same essence, but at the time, same time, he's his own distinct person. And because Jesus' the son is the same essence as God the Father, he is then able to make the Father known. It's what Jesus reminded one of his disciples, Philip, of when Philip said to Jesus, hey, please, will you please show us or will you introduce us to God the Father? And Jesus responded to Philip this way in John chapter 14 and verse 9 and 10. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus the Son and God the Father are of the same essence. They are both fully God. They are not the same God. I mean, they are the same God. They are not different gods. They are the same God. Let's make sure we get that right. Not different gods. They are the same God. One in essence, but two distinct beings. And while there is no difference in their essence, there is a hierarchy to their relationship. And Jesus makes this clear for us in John chapter 14, verse 28 through 31. You heard me say... I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If he loved me, you'd be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now back to the question. So why does Isaiah put this title upon Jesus the Son? Why does he call him Everlasting Father? Well, Isaiah chooses this particular title because he wants to assure future generations that the coming Messiah King, he's not going to behave like all of those selfish, tyrant kings who sat on the throne prior to him. But rather, this particular king, his rule will be fatherly. Now, for those of us who grew up in a home with a wonderful dad, that brings a great deal of of comfort. It brings hope. But I recognized this morning that not everybody was blessed to have that type of experience. I was reminded of this yesterday at the service for Gordon. I talked or listened to more than one person who said this. I grew up in a home with a person who didn't know how to be a dad. And Gordon became my dad, or Gordon showed me what a good father looks like. I realize that's the story for some of you, and I understand this morning that the Christmas season, a season which centers so much around family, can be especially difficult because you grew up in a home with a man who didn't know how to be a father, or you had a father that was gone far too soon, and that's why Christmas is so important and why it's so meaningful to so many of us is because at Christmas time we are reminded that there is a There is a heavenly Father. There is a heavenly Father who loves us so very much that He sent His very Son into this world so that we might know His love. That Jesus comes into this world, He enters into this space, and He says, I and the Father are one, and because you know me, you know the Father, and as you look at my life, you see the Father, how much He loves you. So, let's talk for just a few moments this morning about the love that the Father has for you. Here's what I want to remind you of this morning is that God loves you so much that he is always mindful of you. I mean, you is constantly mindful of you. I have a friend who grew up in a home in which his parents paid him very little mind. Maybe you know somebody who's had this type of experience, but one of the stories my friend tells is that as a little boy, he woke up in the middle of the night, and he was just, just sweat pouring off of him. His head was on fire. He was sick at his stomach. And so he just kind of drags his 10 year old little body into his parents' bedroom, hoping for some type of hope, uh, comfort, some type of care. And what he hears from his parents is this you'll be fine. Go back to your room and go to sleep. And so he goes back to his room. But the pain in his side, it just gets worse and worse. And so he goes back to his parents' room. And once again, they just say, go back to your room and go to sleep. And so he tries. He can't go to sleep. He's in agony. He goes back to his parents' bedroom. Same message. Go back to your room and go back to sleep. And somehow that little boy makes it through the night trying to comfort himself. But he almost dies by morning from a ruptured appendix. Now, it's hard for us to imagine parents being so disconnected from their kids, isn't it? But even the very best parents in life can become so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed by their work and their worries, so overwhelmed by their devices and their desires that they miss at times what's really going on in their child's life. That even parents who are are helicopter parents and snowplow parents, even these parents occasionally hear a child say, are you listening to me? But you never have to worry about that with your everlasting father. He's focused. He's alert. He's constantly paying attention to what's going on in and around us. He doesn't miss a thing. In fact, He's so tuned into your life, you know this well from Scripture, that we are told this, that the Heavenly Father knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 30. We're told this, that He's so tuned in to the hurts and the worries, the pain and the heartache that you experience in life, that when you shed a tear, He cares so much about it that He takes those tears and He places them in a bottle. Now, that's poetry. We understand that's not literal, but that's the way David expresses his confidence, that everything I go through, all my hurt, all my worries, all my pain, all my heartache, God knows about it. He's a father who cares about it. He's in touch with it. He's in tune with it. He's paying attention to my life. This is who God is. It's it's. This compassion, not, not every father does this, as we just talked about, the example I just shared with you, but it's what all good fathers do. They show that type of compassion to their children. And there's no better father than God. And so Jesus comes into the world fully God, same essence as God the Father, full of compassion. He says, I want to show you what your heavenly father is like. He cares about you so much, he loves you so much that he goes to the world and he begins to heal those who are disabled. Begins to eat with those who are discarded. He begins to say to those who are weary and overwhelmed, why don't you come to me and I'll give you rest because I love you and I care about you. He looks at sinners and he says, I forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong in your life because I know you're burdened by shame and guilt and you want a relationship with the Father. So he comes to show us that. And seeing how tuned in God was to his life, prompted David to ask this question in Psalm 8 and verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them? In context, David is saying this, God, in light of all of your glorious creation, I mean, I I just look around, I see the sun and the moon and the stars. I see all this beauty that you have created. Why, God, why would you pay so much attention to people like us? And the question is not so much a question as it is a statement of, of wonder. It's a statement of celebration. As David expresses later in the psalm, he just expresses this, this celebration that God cares so deeply for us that He made us in just a little bit lower, just slightly lower than the heavenly beings. And then he gave us authority over all creation. Another way this is expressed in scripture, Genesis chapter one, as you know, is it's expressed this way, that God made us in his image. Why? To be representatives of his on earth. And then he entrusted us to oversee and care for all of creation. The Father cares so much about us, loves us so much that He says, I'm going to give you a purpose in life. I'm going to give you something important to do. You're going to represent me. You're going to rule over creation. You're going to care for it. You're going to steward this wonderful world that I've created. And our everlasting Father, who is constantly mindful of us, He's constantly at work so that we might flourish in the role that He's given to us. He's mindful of us. He cares about us. He's crazy about you. He really is. I listened to a speaker this past week talk about a a friend of his. He, for most of her life really, a lifetime has just longed to hear her father say, I love you and I'm proud of you. She really wants. She felt like the moment had finally arrived. She graduated from college. She walked across the stage with the highest honors one could receive. She went back to her seat and sat down. And when they finished the graduation, everybody had thrown their caps in the air. She looks across the crowded auditorium and she sees her father making a beeline towards her rest of the family just trying to keep up, and she's just sure the moment's here, the moment's here when I'm finally going to hear him speak those words. Her heart's racing with anticipation. Her dad shows up in front of her, and this is what he says. Well, it's a long drive home, so I guess we better hit the road. That's it. Crushed her. Crushed her. And some of you know that feeling all too well. And it's not uncommon for those types of experiences to make you question if you're lovable. And you are. God loves you deeply. So much so that he sent his son into this world to show you his heart and how much he cares about you. And all through Scripture, we're reminded that God the Father loves us deeply. Perhaps it's best captured in the words of David, Psalm 139. I'll just pick out certain verses from Psalm 139. Start in verse one: "O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me." Verse seven: "I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence." If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. How precious your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Reflecting on those words, J.D. Greer says, do you, ache to be some, do you ache to be special to someone? You're special to God. Do you yearn to matter? You matter to Him. Do you know how much God thinks about you? He knew you in the womb before anyone else even knew about you. He had laid out a plan for your life and planned to take care of you and be a father to you. Do you know how valuable you are to him? My goodness, David says, even if I made my bed in hell, he wouldn't quit thinking about me. And that love is deeper, greater, and better than any love you failed to get from your father. Is there any wonder, David said, such knowledge is high, too wonderful for me. Now this father, this everlasting father, I want to assure you, he's he's not overly uptight and he's not a killjoy. But he does love you enough to direct you and instruct you. Jesus fully, God, he knows better than us how this great universe that he created operates, how it works. And so out of his love for us, he commands. He commands us to do certain things and not to do other things. Because he knows, he knows what decisions will lead to pain and frustration and Delight and despair and life and death. And he wants us to experience the very best in life because he loves us. And so he commands at times and he says, I want you to do this and I don't want you to do this. I want you to go here and I don't want you to go here. I want you to be friends with these type of people and not with these type of people. I want you to use your money this way and not this way. I want you to behave sexually this way and not this way because it's what's best for you. And he loves us so very much. And has this huge desire to see us flourish in life. That he's even willing to discipline us when we choose to ignore or thumb our nose at his commands. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter twelve and verse five through seven Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his sons, his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? One of the cruelest things a father could ever do to a child is to refuse to discipline him. Now, He says, treat every hardship as discipline. Is every hardship discipline from God? Not necessarily. We don't know all of the time, but I would encourage you every time that you go through hardship to ask this question. Is there anything that God is trying to teach me, change in me, or is there something that he wants me to do? And respond faithfully. So one last question as we wrap this up. Why does Isaiah place that, that title, everlasting, next to Father? Well, in one sense, it points to the immortality of Jesus. But I think the reason that Isaiah uses that particular word is because he is assuring future generations that you can have absolute assurance in your relationship with Jesus that unlike earthly fathers, you don't have to worry about Him flaking out on you. You don't have to worry that one day He's going to up and decide to leave home. You don't have to worry that He's going to disengage at the end of the day because He's too tired to relate to you. You don't have to worry that He's going to fly off the handle in anger and kick you out of the house. You don't have to worry that He's going to abdicate His responsibilities because He's insecure or selfish, because He's disinterested or scared. He's not going to pass away. He's an everlasting, forever father. And that means that you can bank on him showing up day in and day out to do the the hard work of a good father. He's going to be there for you to provide and protect, to listen and advise, to comfort and affirm, to correct and discipline, to forgive and restore, and to love and celebrate you. It's going to do all those things. So we turn our attention to the one born in the manger at this time of year, Christmas. And we find our hope in this name, knowing this that forever and ever he will be your good father.